What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. And a good draft day, Birds 365 fans. We are the Mac Mac guys. That would be Jody McDonald with my partner, John McMullen, who is up. He's ready. He's hydrated. The draft <laughs> has arrived. Mr. McMullen, how are you this morning? Doing well. It's finally here. I'm so excited, Jody. Because when it starts, you can see the end. It's going to be a long three days, but it's going to be a fun three days. Well, it's a drama-filled night tonight with only one round. A little more strategic in day two. And then on Saturday, it's kind of a free-for-all because they move up the amount of time between the picks. Yeah. And you got to be good. You got to be on top of your stuff. Got to be good. You're going to come fast and furious. Uh, not fast and furious enough for us, but that's okay. We'll get through this entire weekend, and we'll help lead you up to it. Uh, how many hours are we down to, John? We are down to 22 hours. Not have I done close. the math correctly? 12 No, hours. not even close. You yeah, want to give it another hours. try? 12 hours. 12 hours, yes. 12 hours. Uh, and for the Eagles, probably a I little more than day. that. I was thinking day, and then I then I figured yeah. it out. No, that's tw- 12 hours. 12 uh, hours. And slightly more than that, because the Eagles do not have – it's slightly more than that for everybody, except for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, it's supposed to be 10 minutes between picks in the first round. Some will get it in quicker than that. Some will uh, test the patience of Roger Goodell, but about an average of uh, 10 minutes between picks, which means the Eagles will make their selection – about two hours in, so somewhere around ten o'clock, or will they? Or will they? That's the will question. They trade up, yeah. We're all debating today. I thought about you yesterday after we got off the air. I think it was late afternoon, <clears throat> might have been early evening, when I first heard that the Denver Broncos had traded for Teddy Bridgewater with the Carolina Panthers, uh, sixth round pick, not a ton in exchange. And the Panthers are taking on a lot of the salary responsibility, which I want to ask you about and how that affects the salary cap. But just on the trade itself, what they got and what Bridgewater means, he's going to go in and be at least in the mix for the starting quarterback job. It may or may not take them out of the quarterback mix in the first round, but it becomes less of a must for the Denver Broncos because they got Bridgewater on the roster now. Does that open up the possibility for the Eagles? If there is one particular player, eight players into this draft, that they rate above all others, could the Eagles move up from 12 to 9 to secure the guy that they specifically want? Yeah, I mean, there's a possibility. But number one, and the people who are listening to this show, I said Teddy Bridgewater to Denver is a really good chance of happening, and it happened before the draft. George uh, Patton is the new GM in Denver. He helped draft Teddy Bridgewater back in Minnesota. He was Rick Spielman's sort of right-hand man for years. So likes him as a player, likes him as a person. Uh, they don't like Drew Locke as a quarterback. So to get a quarterback like Teddy Bridgewater as a bridge, I don't think it prohibits them from drafting a, a quarterback uh, in the top 10. However, if you think about how the board is set up, Jody, who's right behind Denver? Dallas, they're not taking a quarterback. The Giants, they're not taking a quarterback. And then the Eagles. So 
If, if, if one of those quarterbacks fall to nine, say Justin Fields, and you're Denver, you could feel pretty comfortable moving back. Now, you have to wear, be wary about other teams coming up and then jumping up in front of you with Dallas or the Giants. But that unique part of all NFC, NFC East teams trying to outdo each other, bang, 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 I think that creates an extra little ripple effect here. So I wouldn't say there's – I still think if the Eagles trade up, the more likely spot is Carolina at number eight. But I, I do think there's at least a chance Denver can look at the board and say, yeah, we can get our guy down at 12. So that could be another slight door opening for Howie Roseman if he wants to prove to be the smartest guy in the move, smartest guy in the room by moving all over the board, getting value, such and such that we always talk about. Now, let me ask you, you mentioned uh, Carolina at eight, um, Eagles moving up from either 12 to nine or 12 to eight. What would be the reason? I know the Eagles can't dictate this because it takes two to tango on any deal. Yeah. Why would they need to move to eight rather than nine if you believe the cost from going from 12 to eight would be higher than the cost from going to 12 to nine? Um, what, what makes you think Carolina is more of a trading partner than Denver? Well, I think Carolina is more likely to trade out of the spot because they traded for Sam Darnold. They don't, no matter what they say, they're kind of playing those games by not picking up the fifth-year option because they don't have to until after the draft. So they can use that and say to teams, oh, we might draft a quarterback, so if you want a quarterback, come up and get him. Or, In other words, I think they're willing to trade out more than Denver is willing to trade out. Look, for the Eagles, yeah. I mean, all you have to do is get in front of Dallas from their perspective. So nine would be better than eight. But I think eight is more likely to be traded, even with Teddy Bridgewater going to Denver, than nine. So it, it all boils down to that. Of course, the Eagles would like to give up as little as possible to go up to get what they want to accomplish. But the scenario that you just laid out is on point. There's one little point you have to cover with it, but if Denver wants a quarterback, and yeah. one of the guys is still on the board at nine. Then they probably you're, take him. You're a hundred percent sure that Dallas isn't going to take a quarterback. Hundred percent sure. Uh, you, and you're probably about ninety-eight on the Giants, but and you got to be careful with this. I could tell you the story about Brett Favre and draft day and the Jets that was told to me after the fact. Um, there's always the possibility that that pick is traded to someone else well that yeah i said uh, you you have to be wary you have to put that because somebody else new england for instance could go up and say oh we can go get a quarterback let's talk to dallas let's talk to the giants now i will also say jody dave gettleman has a history he doesn't trade down he gets mocked for it he doesn't like to trade down he's right. probably not trading down so you put that in the equation jerry jones doesn't like to trade down I think that surprises people. Now, this sort of rivalry between the Eagles and Cowboys, this draft rivalry, maybe that throws a little bit of curve. I wouldn't be comfortable if I were Denver and I wanted a quarterback to move down. But I do think there's at least a possibility. And I will say, I'll bring up again George Patton's history. Nobody trades down more than Rick Spielman. So that's who we learn from as well. So he's probably 
that type of guy who thinks he can move down the board and get value. So you have all these balls in the air. I think if the Eagles want to go up ahead of Dallas, though, the more comfortable part of it would probably be Carolina than Denver. I, I still think Denver probably stays put. Um, I'm not as sure about that. Uh, after I heard about the trade, I reached out to a buddy. Um, he's a Denver guy who's got pretty good sources into the organization, as a matter of fact. And I ran it by him and he said, Jody makes a ton of sense. Could be something that's happening. And he and I exchanged a couple of texts back and forth. And then about a half an hour later, he texts me back again and said, the Broncos have definitely talked to the Eagles, which means he went to his source with the organization. He didn't say hot and heavy. He didn't say they're close on a deal. He just told me that the Eagles had talked to Denver. He didn't even give me a time frame as to yeah. when those conversations hap happened before Bridgewater was dealt, after Bridgewater was dealt. All he said was uh, the Eagles and the Broncos have definitely talked. So uh, that trade itself, I think, does spark uh, the conversation. And I think it is a pretty good possibility. Uh, it would at <clears> least <throat> seem to be at this point for the purposes of getting themselves a cornerback. If you're going to go specifically ahead of the Dallas Cowboys, who, like the Eagles, have a big needed cornerback on their roster as of right now, uh, that the Eagles would be doing so for a cornerback more than anything else. Um, I think most people would suggest it would be Patrick Sertan. It could be uh, Horn. I think uh, the Cowboys have a preference as well. I don't know if the Eagles know what that preference is, but they might be trying to judge it. Do you think Sertan is the guy they are looking to, if they're going to eight or nine, do you think he's the most likely candidate they're targeting? Yeah, I do. I mentioned that yesterday on the show. Ed Kratz was on yesterday. We both heard the same thing from different people. So, that kind of peaks up my interest at least a little bit when you're getting it from two completely different sources. Uh, so I do think Patrick Sertain is the player they're most looking at. I, I can tell you. Now, when you say the Eagles have talked to the Broncos, yes, doesn't surprise me at all. They talk to everybody. So that doesn't really register that much. I mean, that's what the Eagles are famous for is picking up the phone. They're talking to everybody. And they're talking about going down and going up. I joked about Albert Breer saying the Eagles might trade up. They might trade down. They might pick a 12. That seems obvious. It is obvious, but it's true. What he's trying to say is they call everybody. That's what they do. That's what Harry Roseman does. So you do have to be wary of all the, the smoke and the subterfuge, uh, but it, it's looking clearer and clearer to me. But what by what the Eagles are trying to do, they're trying to go up in front of Dallas um, to probably get a cornerback. Now, could it be J.C. Horn? Yeah, but I doubt it. It seems like Patrick Sertain is more likely to go first. Uh, they seem to like him. I don't necessarily agree with that philosophy, as you know. But we'll see how it shakes out. 
the reason that I'm at least somewhat excited that this could happen, if we've got the right beat on it here. And oh, by the way, this is complete Mac and Mac, Bird 65 speculation. I haven't talked to anybody from the Eagles. You haven't talked to anybody from the Eagles who's gone on the record or off the record to say, oh, yeah, the guy, the position that we are targeting <laughs> no. yeah. is cornerback. Neither one of us have that information. This is just our, our speculation. We think somewhat educated speculation, but speculation just the same. The reason why I'm excited about this, if it happens, as you've continued to point out, a lot of guests we've had on continue to point out, this is the Eagles going away from the way they usually do business. When they are in the top half of the first round, they take in the trenches and or quarterback, offensive line, defensive line, or uh, quarterback. Got to go all the way back to Keith Jackson last time they did it. And you make an argument that, well, Keith was a great pass catcher, but he wasn't a bad blocker either, that that was even inside. So you go back further than Keith Jackson. Um, If they're stepping away from their norm, doing something you don't usually see, that's a good omen for the Mac man. Because the horse I'm going to pick in the Kentucky Derby, if he wins, is going to do something that hasn't been done in the history of the Kentucky Derby before. So all historical trends are going out the window this weekend, ladies and gentlemen. Remember, you heard that here first, here on Birds 365. Not only the draft, but the Derby as well. And if you play real nice, I'll give you a Derby winner tomorrow. Yeah, and do me a favor and give me that Derby winner. Because I have no no idea who's going to win, Jody. So I have to count on you for Kentucky Derby information. But I will say one Mac man says that's a positive thing. The other Mac man here says it's a negative thing. You know, it's funny. Our old friend Joe Banner (laughs) tweeted out, still hanging on. You know, if they're smart, they invest in the trenches if the board allows. Bottom line is, Joe. You're going to solicit the help of Joe Joe Banner to win win this argument? I know he's not popular in Philadelphia, but – uh, he he did build a, a winning organization. I still think, I talk about it all the time, it's not sexy. I understand everybody wants the receiver. You're leading that charge. If you don't get a receiver, you want a cornerback, you want to go outside the numbers. Yep. It, it's not just Joe Banner. You know, we had uh, Blake Bedenfield on. He, he said, where do you build, you know? He said there's three important positions. He said edge rusher, tackle, and obviously quarterback. Everybody in this league says you build up front on both sides of the football. And when I say everybody, Jody, I mean everybody. And then they get to draft day and they ignore it. And it's no coincidence that you see the same teams at the top of the draft so often because so often they make bad decisions. That I, I I mean, look, if you can't block anybody, you can't play offensive football. It's like having, you know, the, the great car in the garage, but it doesn't run because the engine's messed up. Same thing defensively. It's great if you got a ball hawk in the back seven making big plays, but if you don't get the pass rush that enables them to make those big plays, you're just going to get fans saying – why is certain? Why is Jeffrey Ukuda? Why does he stink? Well, he doesn't stink. He just has no pass rush, and he's left hanging out to dry in the modern NFL that doesn't let him do anything. Right, but as I a cornerback, I, I could turn it around just as easily and say, 
if you don't have a corner who can cover, who's going to give that pass rusher the three and a half seconds it takes to get home rather than not allowing the receiver to be open after two strides, well, in the court, you're not going to get your sacks anyway. Well, of course. Yes, the I, defensive hey. line helps the secondary, but the secondary helps the defensive it, it, line. They look, go hand in hand. I'll be first to tell you it'd be great to have both. But if I'm forcing you, what do you want first? That's my problem. Uh, what do I want first? I want the pass rusher. Then give me the corner. I hope to have both. It, 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 on offensive side of the football, give me the offensive tackle. Give me the six-time all-pro offensive lineman. Then give me the wide receiver. That's my only point. Here's the way I would state it. Um, uh, if you're going to make that statement, and you can, you have to start with and all things being equal. They never are. Well, of course. If you're talking about a Pro Bowl-level cornerback as compared to a middle-of-the-road defensive and pass rusher, give me the Pro Bowl-level player because he's I going to get you. the job done more down in and down out than the guy who's going to get his, at the end of the year, Well, let me ask stats. you this. Okay, let me go about it this way. Uh, give me the best cornerbacks in your mind in the NFL right now, outside of maybe Jalen Ramsey who everybody thinks is sort of next level. Uh, the, the kid up in New England, for sure, who I think the Patriots may end up trading. Um, but Isn't that interesting? Because I, I, I thought you would go Gilmore. One year, he's defensive player of the year. The next year, he plays so poorly, they want to trade him. You know, I uh, Xavier Rhodes was an all-pro. The next year, he's one of the worst corners in football. Uh, my These guys, and by the way, I think it – I think it's so unfair. I think it's the toughest position in football to play because everything is against them. Everything. True. And, 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 and the rules don't allow cornerbacks to be dominant any longer. There are no Deion Sanders. And by the way, that's legislation. That's not, again, that's not a, a, a knock at the players. I look at an Okuda. Everybody told me, everybody told me how talented this kid was. Everybody. He's the number three pick in the draft, and he was god awful. He was just terrible. I don't. I don't think it was his fault. I just think they're they're tied. Their hands are tied, and that's why I don't see the value at that particular position to take anybody in the top ten. Anybody. See, I read it completely differently because they've legislated it the way that they have. The need for the talent is that much more. It's you're right, nearly impossible to play cornerback the way we used to think of players being able to play cornerback, get double digit interceptions and the like. That just doesn't happen in the NFL. So if you're going to man the position well, knowing how difficult it is, you better get the best of the best. And let me throw one more thing before we get Les on, because I know Les is going to be on pretty soon. So I want to get this last point because I want to get your opinion on this. I want to throw Philadelphia into the mix as well. And the expectation, because they're going to see a top 10 pick, Jody, and they're going to expect top 10 production by a cornerback in the modern NFL, and they're not going to get it. And this poor kid is going to be put through the ringer. I throw that into the equation as well. Right. But here's, again, uh, from a Philadelphia perspective, cornerback, top 10. Oh, my God, will we be under the microscope? Wide receiver, top 10. Oh, my God, will he be? 
defensive end, top 10. Oh, my God. You're Same right, thing. but those it guys doesn't matter have what a position chance. you're playing. If but you're a top ten pick to the Eagles, you're going to be scrutinized to hell here yes. in Philadelphia. But you've a chance to dominate on the defensive line. You've a chance to dominate on the offensive line. What I'm saying is, any cornerback, not Patrick Sertain, not J.C. Horn, Stephon Gilmore, Jalen Ramsey, uh, Tre'Davious White, you, you name it, Jair Alexander, who I think is the best cover corner in the NFL. They all get beat. They all get beat, and that's the legislation of the modern NFL. You can only be so good in the modern NFL at the cornerback position. Well, I think the educated fans know that no one stops. There's no such thing as a shutdown corner in the National Football League exactly. anymore. But you, you said can. it better. All that talk, you just said it. There's no such thing. I, I understand. But you can still be the best corner and you can give your team a better chance to win by playing the position at a, at the highest of high levels week in and week out. All right, MAGA Mac guys, John McMullen, Jody McDonald, it's Birds 365. Two good guests coming your way. A little later on, Matt uh, Manicharian from uh, the, I got to get the exact name. Sports you know, Info Solutions. Sports Info Solutions, football rookie handbook. They uh, meld both scouting and number crunching uh, analysis of statistics put up by players on the college level. Tremendously different way of looking at things. We had Matt on earlier. We'll have him on again today, right before the draft. But first, we will get our buddy Les Bowen from the Inquirer, Inquirer.com, Philly.com, been covering the Eagles for quite some time. He's in Cleveland getting ready to uh, watch the draft live tonight. He will join us live next here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Three years later, they fired their Super Bowl winning head coach. They traded the highest paid QB in franchise history. And they traded down in the 2021 NFL Draft. What does it all mean now? Find out during the draft from the premier Philadelphia Eagles reporter, Derek Gunn. Watch, listen to Draft Takes with Derek Gunn across the Jacob Media Network, YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. 
Connecticut School of Broadcasting is now the CSB Media Arts Center, training in all that is media, including the nation's most successful broadcast training program with professional media experts whose entire mission is to get you career ready in just 8 or 16 weeks. Train on-site and online at our local campus in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. VA approved. CSB Media Arts Center. Visit GoCSB.com. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. His draft day here on Birds 365. Thanks for hopping aboard, streamers. Mac and Mac guys, McMullen and McDonald's here with you. Uh, we got two good guests planned, as I mentioned, Matt Manocharian. So another M a little bit later uh, with a look at the upcoming draft. But first things first, we're staying close at home. He's been covering the birds for years. He is doing so today from Cleveland, the home of the draft. I could make some kind of snide comment about how did Les Bowen draw the short straw to have to go to Cleveland, but I won't do that because I've got a lot of friends in Cleveland and I'm not going to make fun of that town. Les Bowen of uh, inquiryinquiry.com, philly.com joins us here on Birds 365. How are you, Les? Great, Jody. How are you guys? Doing well. Good to see you, Les. Are you gearing up, first of all, for the big rock, paper, scissors matchup? You got challenged. That was a, a direct challenge. I think it needs to be put on pay-per-view. You know, I've been training, but I, I think I uh, messed up a tendon in my hand. Trying to, you know, uh, I don't know. I might have to postpone it. It's hard to say. But I am here in Cleveland in my luxurious hotel room at the airport. Uh, it is raining and cold here in Cleveland today, which is just Cleveland's luck and the NFL's luck. They've got this big yeah. NFL draft experience. They're hoping for... 50,000 people a day to see all the exhibit stuff, which are outdoors <laughs> on Lake Erie. And that's just going to be lovely. Yikes. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a little frightened last because so many people saw Brian McCarthy, who's the NFL PR yeah. guy tweeted out a picture of the stage. And so many of the comments were like, what, what's that ocean? in Cleveland?" Yeah. Good <laughs> Lord. Yeah. <laughs> That that is sad. That's a sad state of affairs. But I would but. like to respond to Jody's original comment. It, hey, the way the pandemic has gone, I'm happy to be anywhere. You know, yeah. traveling, yeah. Uh, being able to cover something on site. Uh, I've never been happier to be in Cleveland in my life. And he hasn't even been put on the pup list yet because of his uh, upcoming battle between right. he and the coach and rock, paper, scissors. So he's good to go. He's in Cleveland. He's last poet. He's here with us on Birds 365. Uh, all right. Yes, you've had a chance to see it. We've already been put on TV. The draft setup that they have out there looks huge. They're quoting numbers of like 50,000 people there. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, I read over the weekend, reported over the weekend that Part of it is going to be people on top of people. If you've had the vaccination, other parts are going to be socially distanced. Uh, I take it the media is going to be in a separate part altogether. How do you think this is all going to work? You know, I think they're taking a lot of precautions. It's really interesting. 
if you go and they'll be doing this for three days. So it's it, it raining today, but I don't think it's going to rain through the whole thing. But um, 50,000 people a day, but they're not all going to be there at once. They have uh, you have to go through you register through an app and go through all kinds of stuff. And you have a, a wristband that you're it's only good for three hours. And after three hours, you don't get in to the exhibits with your rich wristband. So those people leave and the next group comes in. Theoretically, I hope that's the way it all works. But, uh, you know, it is a little uh, we're not totally back to normal here. Obviously, there's only going to be about a dozen prospects on site. Yeah. Uh, they'll have about 45 of them, you know, via setups like this one that I'm on here. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a halfway measure. But the city of Cleveland is very excited about this draft. I was downtown yesterday and, uh, you know, it's it's a big deal for Cleveland, even in the situation that we're in. I know I'm staying at the airport because hotels in the city were like four hundred dollars a night. Wow. And I didn't feel like Cleveland was that kind of destination that I wanted to. <laughs> it is now. Do well, that. you got the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as well. Yes, Wes, so. yes, and that's um, right in the middle of the whole yeah. shebang. Right. Yeah. Uh, one of those players, I think, who was supposed to be there live was Caleb Farley. Now yeah. he's had so many issues with the back. Now he tests positive. Yeah. Now he's not. Oh, coming. Yeah. Now he's not coming. That I, I feel bad for that kid, but that kind of tells you we're not out of this yet. Yes. Uh, as somebody's still testing positive. You had an interesting thing I saw on Twitter, your flight out there, kind of got to meet the Pitts family a little I bit. I did. I was all excited. There were a couple of women with uh, Florida 84 jerseys and then a bunch of guys. And there was one young man who was very tall who was with this group. And I thought, well, that's Kyle. But it wasn't Kyle. It was It was somebody else in the group. But – uh, nonetheless, I did get to meet the Pitts family, and uh, they are here for this. And, uh, you know, Kyle is going to go probably top five, I think, yeah. in this draft. It would be wonderful if, if somehow the Eagles could have figured out a way or could figure out a way to, to make him part of their team. But, uh, you yeah, know, that looks unlikely at this point. Yeah, when they dropped down from 6 to 12, it took them out of the yeah. Kyle Pitts possibility yeah. realm. But there were rumors last that the Eagles may be looking to move back up. I don't think high enough get that yeah. get their hands on the hometown kid, Mr. Pitts, but uh, possibly to get up <clears> in front <throat> of the Dallas Cowboys. What do you make of the rumors? Do they make sense to you? Do you think it's something we can see happen? The wheeler dealer that is Howie Roseman trading back only to trade back up. Right. You know, I, I think it's quite possible he moves. Howie's been directly responsible for nine drafts. Uh, I'm not including the one Chip Kelly kind of kicked Cowie out of. Mm -hmm. uh, and five of those nine he has picked at a different spot than where he was originally. So obviously he's already moved once this year. He could move again. It depends on what he's given up. I mean, you got a certain amount of assets, including a first-round pick next year, for moving back. It would be nonsensical to give all that up again to move up yeah. to like eight or something. But if you had to give up something less than that, if you kept that first-round pick next year and, you know, gave up some later picks this year and, and something else, a player, Sackers, um, you know, to move up to eight or so, I, that, that could certainly work. You're not going to move up much higher than eight or nine, I don't think. Um, but who knows? This is a weird 
you know, the yeah. NFL is in a strange spot here with the, the players weren't scouted normally. They didn't vetted medically normally. And, you know, a lot of things could happen tonight. You know, Les, it's interesting because you mentioned Howie. I think we all know Howie's going to get value. So if he moves back up, he's not going to give up as much as he got to move back. So I know that baked in. That's what he's good at. To me, the questions with Howie Roseman, and you could argue by extension, Jeffrey Lurie, Andy White on the scouting staff, is picking the right players when they do yeah. pick. Yeah. And you and I have been around this team long time now, so the history is offensive line, defensive line, or quarterback if they're in the top half of the draft. It certainly looks like they're going to go in a different, different direction, whether it's cornerback, wide receiver. What's your feel for this team and where they are? You know, John, I talked to two NFL GMs yesterday uh, and just asked them, this is kind of, you know, you don't get, you try to get hold of these guys during draft preparation and you don't often hear from them, but when you get almost to the draft, they're done with their work and they're kind of just fooling around and looking at mock drafts and laughing and stuff like that. (laughs) Uh, And both of them got right back to me. And they were very eager. They, they're gossipy just like the rest of us. Are. They were very eager to give their opinions of what the Eagles were going to do. They both said J.C. Horn. Wow. And really? one of them gave me three possibilities. <laughs> and uh, another gave me two. The one who gave me two uh, had Pay, the edge rusher from uh, Michigan. Uh, great backstory there. Uh, yeah. Born in a refugee camp, uh, you know. Uh, that was his second pick. Uh, the other guy said Devonta Smith or, uh, you know, is certain if he somehow dropped within their range. Uh, but he really thought, you know, JC Horn was, was the guy they, they would end up with if they stayed at 12. And that seems kind of likely to me. I mean, I, I think he's a great prospect. He's a top end athlete. He has a few things that need to be refined. I know you were talking, John, when I came on about corners and how hard it is in the NFL yeah. today. But, hey, their, their lack of talent at that position I agree. has just been devastating for the last decade, you know. And uh, I, I think that's a solid pick at 12, if that ends up being the guy. He's uh, Joe Horn's son. Yeah. Uh, and that's a, that's a feature of this draft that I don't want to dominate all your time here, but that's we a got, feature. We got nothing but time. time. We got nothing Take your but time. time. Go, don't worry go about it, Les. Less is, is more of, here on Birds 365. Yeah. That's kind of been overlooked. There's so many. Everywhere you look, somebody's the son of a, of a yeah. former player. Yeah, as well. Yeah. Uh, Asante Samuel Jr., who I think yeah. would fit what the Eagles do very, very well, what we think the Eagles are going to do anyway. We don't know yet. Yeah. But uh, – you know, it's it's amazing. Uh, it's it's almost like, uh, you know, it, it's always been, you know, sons of players in the league. But now it just seems like half the prospects. <laughs> have I like it. I, I like that bloodline. I remember Antoine Winfield Jr. because I got yes. to cover his father. I yeah. mean, his father was such a good fundamental player. I put a lot of stock into that. And sure enough, yeah. his, his son, he hit the ground running. So that's uh, that's what I've heard. I, you know, they could move back. Uh, that's a Howie thing to do. You know, pick yeah. up some more assets. Uh, they have so many needs. I wouldn't move too far back. If you look at the Eagles' draft history, when they get back in the twenties, 
especially in recent years, that has not, not been out. good. Yeah. Uh, they're much better in the teens. Um, you know, but uh, I guess we'll see. Uh, it's going to be a long night. I think uh, the draft doesn't start till after eight. So, uh, you know, the Eagles aren't going to come up right away. Let's let me follow up on, on something you touched on, expound on it a little bit. Uh, you mentioned about one of the players, what we believe the Eagles defense is going to be like. Yeah. You're, you're dead on mm-hmm. accurate because we don't know what the Eagles defense is going to be like. They swapped out an entire coaching staff. The only guy from the coaching staff who the media has had access to so far is Nick Sirianni, who both John and I like, uh, even if he's challenging to rock, paper, scissors. Uh, But we (laughs) don't know what they're going to do specifically. We don't have a track record of watching them perform and uh, being able to know what are the key tenants for their coordinators and the like. You can look at what they did previously in other spots, but that could change by the time they got here. How do you go about trying to figure out what type of a player the Eagles want when we don't have any hands-on evidence as to how they're going to fit with the new coaching staff? Yeah, Jody, the only thing you can do is look at where the coaches have been. And Jonathan Gannon is the defensive coordinator. Uh, he's been in Minneapolis and Indianapolis and, uh, but he wasn't the coordinator in either of those places. So we don't really know that they were doing the stuff that he likes to do. We assume that, you know, those are the, his influences. He might have a totally different idea. That would be hilarious if he had like, no, no, we're not going to do any of that stuff. I I always wanted to do this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to do exactly what Jim Schwartz did the last several years. Yeah. There you go. Get used to it. Uh, I, I, Daniel Jeremiah feels like it's going to be the NFL network draft expert feels like it's going to be a defense that's uh, starts up front uh, back to front, like it was with Jim Schwartz. Um, I don't know. I, we, they haven't let us talk to Jonathan Gannon. That's one of the, no, yeah. this whole mess has been just with the pandemic and, and the way they've done things has been uh, really hard from a coverage perspective. <laughs> We've never met the guy. We don't know him. Uh, it's it's just uh, it's kind of a crapshoot. But I, you know, looking at their their roster and looking at the teams that Gannon has has coached, I, we've talked. To, uh, we've all talked for years about the whole linebacker thing and how the Eagles don't value yeah. linebackers. Nineteen seventy nine. We got to bring it up, Les. Yes, we do. And in fact, and this is why I hate draft season because I've been doing this so long. In twenty fourteen. I wrote a pre-draft story. I tracked down Jerry Robinson out in California and called him up and said, hey, the draft is coming up. <laughs> Do you realize <laughs> that the Eagles haven't drafted a linebacker in the first round since you? And he was like, nah, you're kidding me. <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. It, it, and he had some it great is... stories about his draft day, too. He spent it in his agent's office, and he thought he was going to get picked real high by the Rams, the hometown yeah. Rams, and that didn't happen. And, you know, he, he didn't know what the hell was going to happen to him. And finally, the Eagles, Dick Vermeil obviously had been his coach at UCLA. And Dick Vermeil called him and took him. But, uh, you know, that's still a viable story. I could have written that story again this year. Yeah, <laughs> every year. Yeah, keep it in the holster. And, yeah. and by the way, the irony is, Les, he was a great player. Yes, yes, he, he was. He, but he the was a pro bowl level. So much, yeah. John. I yeah. mean, it's not. 
I don't think it's <laughs> a straightforward story of the Eagles are so stupid for no, not drafting a linebacker in the first draft. There are a few times when they could have done this and it would have helped, you know, but the league has changed so much. It's not about stopping the run. Uh, you need guys that can cover. I, I definitely think looking at Indianapolis's defense, which is kind of the tangent that I started off on here, it. They have better linebackers than the Eagles. A lot yes. better linebackers than Darius, the Eagles. Darius Leonard. Yes. Uh, and I just wonder if that's not going to become a bigger uh, priority. Even if you don't go first round, I think you're going to need better linebackers than they had last year. Yeah, unless you also – you mentioned Jonathan Gannon. All we can look at is his history. So you do have Darius Leonard. If you go back to Minnesota, they had Anthony Barr and Eric Kendricks. So it seems like – they value linebackers more than the Eagles. The Penn State kid might be there at 12, Micah Parsons. That would really be something, wouldn't it? Yeah, but you never hear his name. And also, you talk when we talk to these guys, whether it's Jim Schwartz, and again, we haven't gotten much to talk to the new coaching staff, especially defensively. You know the past couple of years, Les, they've always thrown out that term positionless player yeah. on the back seven. And I look at the kid from Notre Dame, yeah, Owusu Koromoa. He I'm looks glad you like, said that because I can't pronounce yeah, his name. So nobody yeah. can. I I gotta I gotta think about it before I gear up. You know, I'd like to say Halapuli Bati Baitai all the time. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so disappointed the Eagles moved on from him because exactly I, once we learn how to spell yes. that and everything. And Big V, thank you very much. Yes. That'll cover it for me. But getting back to that linebacker, there's two guys that I think that could really help this defense and linebacker, but I don't even think about it because of this team's history. Is that right? Yeah, you know, and I, that's, what, that's kind of my point. I think maybe we should because we don't know. Uh, and nothing lasts forever, you know. Uh, it's going to change at some point. Uh, what is one of those guys that Davis, Jamin Davis? Uh, no, he's he's. I didn't mention him, but yeah, he's another guy. He, some people say he'll go in the back end of the first round, but probably yeah. not twelve. But he might be thirty-seven. You know, in the second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I just think that's something they have to to pay some attention to. And I'm not that excited about an edge rusher in the first round. I just don't think any of these guys. If they're going to draft yet another edge rusher, and I know they have a need, but it's a need because they've drafted poorly there. Uh, yeah. um, I want it to be somebody who just dominates. If you're going to draft another edge rusher, I want to see, you know, all pro. And I just don't, I don't think there's anybody even pay that I would really see that from right now. Uh, I, I don't know how you feel. I think, the the Phillips kid from Miami, I yeah. think he's the most talented, but he's Injury. got so many issues. Concussion. He's got yeah. yeah, he's got the concussion issues. He quit football, maybe because that was Chip Kelly, and everybody yeah. wants to quit around Chip Kelly, but <laughs> there's my chip shot. Then he went to Miami and he was just lights out, but I don't know how you can take him with Not all those high. red flags. Yeah. Yeah. Let me really just kid, let me just add this for both of you two guys to put in your back pocket and keep. Um, it has been, as Les pointed out, nine out of the last ten have been quote unquote how he drafts and how he came from the Andy Reid Joe Banner era and yeah. carried it forward. Other than that one year when Chip came in and uh, took over everything, it's been from the hiring day of Andy Reid forward. 
the the Andy Reid philosophy. This is the first time they've broken with it in a while because when Doug Peterson came in, anytime Howie would have said, yeah, and here's what Andy would have done. Doug would have just shook yeah. his head and go, yes, that's right. You're exactly right, Howie. You might not get that from this coach this year. The new coach and his staff might go, oh, no, linebacker? Let's talk linebacker. Let's think linebacker. And now we may actually have to listen. So I think that's a possibility. And I surely believe cornerback's a possibility. But, less. Zach Ertz, a guy who has been talked about since the season ended, been pretty outspoken about his desire not to be here. Carson Wentz certainly did that, and he's no longer here. We've been waiting for a Zach Ertz trade. It hasn't happened. Will it happen in the next 48, 72 hours? If not, we get past June 1st. It gives them a little bit more cap flexibility to handle them uh, different ways. Is there any chance that Zach Ertz is actually kept here in Philadelphia and is uh, scheduled to come to camp for the birds when that happens? I don't think so, Jody. I really think he has moved on and they've kind of moved on. I, I tried to get I, I did get in touch with Zach. Uh, they had the thing a few weeks ago with the Players Association where teams were putting out statements about spring work and not working on the field uh, in the OTAs. <clears throat> Zach is the Eagles player rep still. Yeah. And he had no, you know, it was like, no, nah, I'm sorry. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know what they're going to do. Really? <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, and he had nothing to do with the statement that they eventually crafted. I think Rodney McLeod is like the, what do you call it, deputy uh, yeah. <laughs> rep or something yeah. like that. And it was probably he that wrote the uh, the statement. But I think Zach has checked out of here. I think he's very disillusioned and disappointed. It's a shame. Uh, I, I think they're going to end up, well, they're obviously going to end up in a situation as they were in with Carson Wentz, where they're going to trade him at a very low point in his value. Uh, they're going to get nothing close to what they would have gotten a year ago had they very, you know, just like with Carson Wentz. Uh, I don't know if Zach is washed up. He had a terrible year, but it was a terrible year for the team and for his his quarterback that he's so close to, uh, it, it would, I, I'm not sure that he won't go somewhere and play well for a few more years. Uh, you know, it's not like he's 35 or something like that, but I don't see him being here and I don't know what they're going to get for him. Frankly, I, I, it obviously they would have traded him by now if they were getting, you heard reports, they wanted a third round pick that certainly hasn't happened. Uh, <clears throat> You know, maybe at this point you trade him to move up a few slots in in the second round or something like that. I don't know. But I, I think everyone kind of wants this to get over with uh, as soon as possible. And I expect it to happen this weekend. I think he expects it to happen this weekend. But I don't guess there are any guarantees there. All right, Les, I know you got a big day out there in Cleveland. Last one for me. And check out Les's work at Inquire.com. Nobody uh, does a better job covering the Eagles than Les Bowen. He's getting ready for the big Rochambeau matchup. That's rock, paper, scissors uh, <laughs> with Nick Sirianni. But uh, Les, I, I do want to say these top two picks, and I think you're kind of told us you're locked in on, on J.C. Horn at number 12. I think that's what you put in your mock as well, uh, if they stay there. So my question is, how does that affect that second pick? Because I think that pick is just as important at number 37. And I almost put those two together. If you go cornerback, 
You almost have to go receiver, I would think, at 37 to try to get in a natural X receiver. Is that how you would see it? Yeah, I would. And I don't know what receiver is going to be there at 37. Maybe uh, Tony. Uh, uh, I, I Tony, yeah. Yeah, I, it's really hard to predict that. Uh, it'd be a lot easier to do it the other way around. If one of the receivers would drop to 12, you know, Smith or, or Waddle, and, you know, you could go with Asante Jr. or somebody like that at 37. He might not be there, but uh, that kid from Georgia probably would be there at 37. Uh, you know, it's easier to see, to me, it's from, from what I glean from these draft reports, it's easier to see a good corner who would make a difference at 37 than it's necessarily easy to see a, a receiver at 37 because the Eagles need they've drafted receivers obviously high yeah you know and they need somebody who's really 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 good not somebody who just has some potential and does this but doesn't do that and once you get out of the first round you're kind of in that range you know of guys that have traits but aren't you know sure thing pro bowl type guys and uh, it's it's a tough uh so t- that they might move up from 37 somehow, even if they stay at 12, they might somehow get into the, the latter part of the first round. Uh, maybe that's how you trade Zach Ertz. I don't yeah. know. But, I look at uh, Buffalo at 30 because Buffalo yeah. shown some interest. Maybe they can attach Zach to that pick yeah. and move up a little bit. That's a last time. I got one more for you. Um, Last year, Howie Roseman came out with the infamous quote of calling Philadelphia quarterback uh, factory, and he had to kind of walk that one back a little bit, but he said it. He's on record, and he's never going to live it down. Uh, We all believe the Eagles are going to take a quarterback at some point in the draft, most likely day three. Yeah, Outside chance, day two. Shaco shocks day one, and all of a sudden we've got ourselves a quarterback competition. When do you think the Eagles are going to call out a quarterback name or if they're going to call out a quarterback name at some point this weekend? And when will Jalen Hurts have any reaction, unlike the former Eagles starting quarterback, who most people believe lost his mind when the Eagles took a quarterback on uh, the second round of the draft last year? Yeah, I don't I don't think Jalen will have much of a reaction either way, at least publicly. Uh, but that's really interesting, Jody. And, and that is something I meant to, to touch on it. That Broncos trade yesterday where they acquired Teddy Bridgewater. There's a difference of opinion as to whether that means that they won't draft a quarterback, which a lot of people had them drafting a quarterback. Maybe they won't. And if they don't, that means they take a position player that could have dropped to the Eagles. And it also might push a quarterback. It would be really hilarious if they're sitting there at 12 and Justin Fields is still on the board what would you do then i'd take him i tell you that oh, what I, I, would. I would oh, what i uh you know and so we don't know i i'm with you i think it's most looking going to the draft it's more likely a day three thing uh, maybe a day two thing if you get a couple guys that you really like and then there's like that stanford quarterback is sitting there or something uh but it it, it would there's it's possible that one of those quarterbacks, Trey Lance or, you know, Fields or somebody, 
uh, Jones from Alabama, somebody drops to 12 and you have to make a decision there. And it's, that'll be an interesting decision and something to follow in the coming years. We made a smart division by including Les Bowen here on our draft day coverage. Les, have a good time in Cleveland. We'll be reading you tomorrow. Thanks for hopping on with us, bud. My pleasure. Take care, guys. That is Mr. Uh, Rock, paper, scissors himself. I've completely forgotten that the coach named him by name. He's looking forward to a rock, paper, scissors showdown with Les Bowen uh, prior to the uh, draft. He is John McMullen. I am Jody McDonald. We are your uh, birds, 365 guys. We're not going anywhere. We've still got an hour and change coming your way. And then you need to stay put right here on our channel because special Jacob media coverage, Barrett Brooks with a draft day special. Barrett will be live immediately after us today right here on the Jacob media channel. So uh, you don't want to go anywhere all day long. We'll have draft coverage for you, including coming back uh, with the Mac and Mac guys next. Not long off, Matt Manitarian will come on and help us break down the draft here on day one of the 2021 NFL Draft. Stay here with Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Three years later, they fired their Super Bowl winning head coach. They traded the highest paid QB in franchise history. And they traded down in the 2021 NFL Draft. What does it all mean now? Find out during the draft from the premier Philadelphia Eagles reporter, Derek Gunn. Watch, listen to Draft Takes with Derek Gunn across the Jacob Media Network, YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Connecticut School of Broadcasting is now the CSB Media Arts Center, training in all that is media, including the nation's most successful broadcast training program with professional media experts whose entire mission is to get you career ready in just 8 or 16 weeks. Train on-site and online at our local campus in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. VA approved. CSB Media Arts Center. Visit GoCSB.com. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. 
Birds 365 here with you on the Jacob Media Channel. I am Jody McDonald, my partner. I see him staying hydrated during the breaks, going mm-hmm. heavy to the water bottle. John McMullen there with me. Uh, yes, we are counting down the hours. We've clicked almost another one off. Uh, before you know it, the Eagles will be on the clock, but the Jaguars will get there first, and they're going to take Trevor Lawrence. Uh, I, I will specifically, from the time the commissioner gets, I'm going to have to get out my scouting stopwatch to see how long it takes uh, before the commissioner says, and the Jaguars are on the clock, that we get the actual pick. Uh, yeah, but you know, Jody, this is a TV event. So we all know Trevor Lawrence is the pick, and everybody's going to say, why don't they just run up and take him? You know, they they – they let the Jaguars know we got to put these packages out. Let's wait a little bit. So that's what that's about. Yes, it could be one second, right? If they if they really wanted and didn't care about other things, they will milk it as best they yes. can. Is the point you're trying to make? Yeah. And I agree wholeheartedly with you. Um, so it'll be a while before the eagle pops up. We will certainly uh, debate it back and forth between ourselves, me and uh, John, and we'll get Matt Manocharian's uh, take on it when he joins us next hour. Could the Eagles trade back up? Uh, very intriguing. The Eagles are going to be part of the drama tonight. And another one of the teams that I think is going to be part of the drama, John, everybody's talking about San Francisco at three, that they're going to do it. They're going to, nobody knows we're getting that much closer and they haven't tipped their hand at all. Best kept secret, if the Jets picking Wilson at number two is the worst kept secret, the best kept secret is San Francisco's pick at three, which is uh, tremendously interesting. But here's where San Francisco even expounds on the drama end of it, and that's Jimmy G. Do you want to move Garoppolo before you pick the quarterback? Do you want to wait till you pick the quarterback mm-hmm. And the team that Jimmy G has been most uh, affixed to, and, well, he should be, is the Patriots. That he yeah. was drafted by the Patriots. Belichick supposedly loved him. Uh, his hand was forced up there in New England. The owner twisted his arm said, we need to trade Jimmy G. We're going to stick with Brady. They did. They won another Super Bowl with him. So I'm not knocking Robert Kraft. He no. kind of pushed Bill in the right direction. So Jimmy G gets shipped out. He's had... Up and down success in San Francisco was a quarterback of a team went to the Super Bowl. So let's not acknowledge that. They certainly should get credit for that. But San Francisco did aggressively move up to get in the range where they can take a quarterback. So they've kind of tipped their hand that they don't think Jimmy G is the long-term answer. What is the chance that the 49ers get their arm twisted tonight? And what I mean by that is, uh, when the Eagles traded down, I think you and I are on the same page about this. <clears throat> a lot of people call me on my radio show and why would the Eagles do it now? Why wouldn't they wait till draft day? I said, I believe they were told if they wanted the package, they needed to do the deal when Miami said they had to do the deal because yeah. Miami wanted that in place before they did the deal with San Francisco to move from three back all the way to 12. So it's kind of a leverage thing and the Eagles either did it or got off the pot they decided to do it what if that happens to san francisco tonight what if new england makes them a legitimate offer for jimmy g and says listen take it now or forever hold your peace because we're pulling out uh the draft starts we are going to keep ourselves in a position to potentially take a quarterback no listen uh, the pick might not be here. What we're offering might not be here. Either you're going to give us Jimmy G or we're going to go get a quarterback somewhere else. 
Do you think the Patriots will try and play the leverage game against the 49ers tonight? Yeah, no question. I'm, I'm trying to look it up as you were talking there, Jody. You had like dueling reports uh, from the NFL Network this morning between Tom Pelissero and Ian Rappaport. So I want to get right who said what. Tom was first. He said, expect multiple teams to inquire uh, about a deal for Jimmy Garoppolo tonight. Um, has a no trade clause, so that uh, puts some uh, sort of kinks into things. And then, you know, Ian almost immediately came out and said, the 49ers do not have plans to trade Jimmy G unless in all. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Or, you know, uh, unless a value overwhelms them. Um, bottom line, they're trading the kid. It's just a matter of when. Uh, you know, Kyle Shanahan wouldn't guarantee he'd be alive on Sunday, so. You might want to whack him. You talk about, you talk about, you know, he's a Super Bowl. That's where you got to end a Super Bowl quarterback. That's when you got to add context. Because I remember talking about those playoffs. Jimmy Garoppolo threw an interception. I think it was in the divisional round. One of the worst interceptions you'll see from a uh, uh, a veteran quarterback at that time. Obviously, he's he, he's been hurt a lot, but you know he played pretty significantly. It was Derek Kendricks. And from that point forward, Kyle Shanahan, remember who Kyle Shanahan is, completely shut down and went to his running game. And the 49ers had an awesome running attack that year. Great offensive line. They they gassed the Packers oh. in the championship game, running the football. They were on the verge of winning the Super Bowl running the football. They outplayed Kansas City. That was maybe the worst game Patrick Mahomes had ever played because of Nick Bosa and that great defensive line. And then all of a sudden, the Chiefs just exploded late in the game, and it was over. It was over as soon as they got the lead because Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't going to bring him back. And from that point forward, from those playoffs, from that interception, rarely can I see a, a moment in time. And I said, Kyle Shanahan's done with Jimmy Garoppolo. Done. Just a matter of when, just a matter of where. We've already got the when. They're going to take a quarterback. It's probably going to be Mac Jones. Maybe they shocked the world with Trey Lance or Justin Fields. Either way, that's their quarterback. They're going to move Jimmy Garoppolo. Now they're just haggling over when and where and trying to get the most, you know, like anybody else, trying to get the most value possible. You uh, reminded me of something that I'd forgotten. Shame on me, but it's a great point. But it plays into the scenario that I was uh, painting just a couple minutes ago. The fact that Garoppolo has a no trade clause. Yeah, the 49ers have to go to him. They can't just yeah. banish him out of town. They got to get his say so. Now, does Garoppolo really want to stay if they're coming no. to him and uh, say, do you we have your permission to trade? 
once they do that, it kind of is tough to say, no, I'm not going to accept that trade. Now you're going back to a team that just drafted a quarterback number three and they tried desperately to trade you. You want to make your life miserable? Okay, Jimmy, you can do that. You make San Francisco's miserable while you're at it, but your own is going to be damn miserable. Here's the one way that doesn't play in, at least in my estimation. You trade him to the Patriots. He had a great relationship yeah. there. Yeah. He and Belichick see eye to eye. The 49ers almost wouldn't have to ask permission. They just know they get permission. If uh, they say they're sending yeah. him back to New England, I think it's a pretty much a foregone conclusion that he'll accept that. That's something that New England might be able to take advantage of, that in the negotiations with the 49ers, if they really want Jimmy G back, say, listen, here's the offer. It's not going to get any better. If you don't call us back in the next 20 minutes, the offer is off the table. Let's get this thing done and use time as a leverage for them as well that they don't have the time to go through. Well, we got to get Jimmy G's permission. Oh, you don't have to sway him because it's New England. He'll yeah. accept the deal there. I think there is a good chance the Patriots do acquire Jimmy G. And if that's the case, well, that's one more team that's not playing for quarterback, not going to be trading up uh, in the first round to get their hands on somebody. There is some pretty good speculation that Justin Fields is a the guy they like a lot and would trade up to get him. If they get Jimmy G, then I think it takes them out of the market. And maybe, just maybe, Justin Fields does fall down to the Eagles. Man, yeah, I wanted to I wanted to bring that up because this might be the Jody McDonald Soapy's Choice draft. If you're sitting there at number 12 and Justin Fields is there and Devontae Smith is there. But just to wrap up the Jimmy Garoppolo part, you know, this might be a situation where New England goes into the draft, tries to get the young quarterback they want, if it's Fields, if they can't get it done, then they go to San Francisco and say, let's make a deal. Probably the more likely scenario, but I'm trying to paint the more dramatic scenario. Yeah. And if both Fields and Devontae Smith... That's Sophie's choice. Are, if they're both still sitting there at 12, uh, it's great from an Eagle drama standpoint but you're going to have one disappointed co-host on Birds 365 tomorrow because I just think they both deserve to go in the top five. Not not both sitting there at 12. I think they should both be off the board in the top five. All right, you want to say the quarterbacks get pushed up fine. All right, certainly top 10 for Devonta Smith. He shouldn't be there at 12, and there is no way that Justin Fields, the second best player in this draft, should still be available at number 12. So even though it'll be great drama for the Eagles and for us to talk about and me on WIP going forward for the next however many months slash years, no, I don't want to see that happen to either one of those kids because I think but, but But, but more down. importantly, what is the choice? Smith is there for you. Fields is there for you. I know who you're going to pick. You're a smart man. I know who you're going to pick. Yeah, you do. Because quarterback's quarterback and wide receiver's yes. wide receiver. And yes. the quarterback is the more important position. Even though, I'll make an argument. You want me to play devil's advocate? Uh, the I like Jalen Hurts as a potential starting quarterback Boy. going forward Boy. more than I like uh, any of the wide receivers that the Eagles have as the potential number one go-to guy on the wideout. So that's the, that's if you were to try and make the argument for the Devontae Smith in a vacuum, you'd say the Eagles' bigger need is wide receiver than quarterback, but quarterback is a more important position. And yes, on my 
overall power rankings of all the players. I have yeah. Justin Fields number two, uh, not Devonta Smith. So for me, it would have to be the QB, Justin Fields. Yeah, you know, we've kind of gotten over this hump, but I'm still stunned about the Eagles' move back because I, I think of Justin Fields as there at six, which I think is really likely at this point. Um, that's going to stick in my crawl uh, if they could have taken him at six originally and just stayed at home. I Every personnel guy we've had on this show, Jody, uh, Chris Landry being the latest, who was great yesterday, uh, and everyone I've talked to off of this show, whether on the record or off the record, has said it's not close when you're talking about the ceiling of players like Justin Fields and Trey Lance versus the ceiling of Jalen Hurts. Now, maybe the floor is a little bit different. Um, but, man, I, I, if he's there at six, I would be angry as an Eagles fan. If I'm an Eagles fan, I would be angry at that. Well, this goes back to how much stock you put into the Chris Mortensen report from now. Damn, seems like it was only yesterday, but I guess it was more like six or seven weeks ago. Uh, the Jeff Laurie told his minions that he believes their goal this offseason, number one goal, has to be to put better parts around Jalen Hurts. When your owner makes that kind of a statement that a quarterback who played all of four games with up and down results, flashed some very impressive things, made some rookie mistakes. But if you're going to cut him slack for rookie mistakes, you might want to look at the good things and go and say, hey, maybe just because he was a rookie and other teams didn't have a read or a book on him yet. He was what he was as a rookie, peaks and valleys, ups and downs. Jeff Laurie sounded to commit to him at least in the reporting of Chris Mortensen, and Mort's pretty good at this stuff. Uh, so I would take it for what it's worth, uh, which is a lot. Um, yeah, they, at least as per that report and as per the most important guy in the organization, they're going to give Hertz a chance. And if they are, no matter what the upside is, the ceiling is for uh, Justin Fields uh, or Mac Jones or Trey Lance or anybody else, if they've already decided – we think we've got the potential guy here. We don't have to use an epic on him. He's signed to the rookie deal. We got him for four more years. The Eagles kind of pre-committed to their current quarterback. So I think well, they're going to stay I, away I from Let me just say, I don't think the Eagles committed in that instance. And I agree with you on Mort. Mort's great at what he does. I don't dispute the report at all. But that's just another indication that Shepard Lurie's got to get the hell out of the way. Because nobody in the personnel world is agreeing with him. And he's not, he does not have the expertise to make that type of decision. Since that time, the Eagles probably, they've, they've hinted that Zach Wilson was their guy. If they didn't see the firewall between them and Zach Wilson, they would have went after Zach Wilson. So already there's some seepage into looking at other quarterbacks now, you can talk about Fields, Lance. Mac Jones, I don't even put in that equation because, to me, you can make an argument that Mac Jones is more of a, a system guy, a fit for Kyle Shanahan, fit for certain coaches, um, not necessarily a fit for other coaches. But the other two kids, Justin Fields and Trey Lance, 
again, their traits are just so much greater uh, from a standpoint to just totally take them off the board. That's another black mark uh, uh, to Jeffrey Lurie, if that was what was done. That's just a terrible decision. I, I don't think you and I have done this specifically here on Birds 365. Maybe I asked you about it prior to us our starting the show way back when, but uh, I don't think we've actually done it this exact way. Even though it's, I believe, highly unlikely the Eagles going to take the quarterback. Um, they did move down from 6 to 12. They kind of told you that that yeah. was the case. For whatever reason, chances are they're not going to take quarterback. But John McMullen, potential general manager of the Philadelphia Eagles, I'll take on that burden myself as well. The five quarterbacks, if we agree that the five kind of stand above and beyond anybody else in this draft, just for any team, not necessarily the Eagles, because the Eagles we don't even know about. They got a new coaching staff. We yeah. haven't seen their system in play. Uh, we can only project and guess what their system's going to look like. But I'm just talking about rating their talent. And because the system the Eagles have in place is a little fungible at this point because they've never uh, put it on paper or put it on the field, um, they kind of are applicable to this. If you were to rate and rank the five guys who are going to be drafted, I believe, in the first round, maybe in the top ten picks of this draft, what order would you put them in? Uh, Trevor is obviously first. Number two, I would put Fields. Number three, I would put Wilson. Number four, I put Trey Lance. And number five, Mac Jones. And, you know, Trey Lance, only because he's raw, only because uh, he didn't get to play, obviously, a lot last season. I think his ceiling is astronomical. Um, everybody who talks about him, all the personnel people I've talked to talk about how smart he is how athletic his traits, I would put his traits number two, but overall I would put fields two and him down at four. Zach Wilson would be three. And look, the top four, I would have drafted if I were the Eagles and had the opportunity. All four of them. See, yeah, you and I look at it a little differently. A lot of similarities, but, but certainly not exactly the same across the board. I've got uh, Trevor Lawrence one and Justin Fields two. So in that, we agree. I put number three, Mac Jones. Uh, I'm a little bit bigger fan of his than apparently you are. Yeah, you're going to, if you're going to draft him with a top five pick, you better have some flexibility to your system. This is, again, uh, this is just generally speaking, not trying to shoehorn him into a system that doesn't fit, but not a tailor-made system for him either, like maybe San Francisco would be. But yeah. a to-be-determined system, his accuracy, his ability to throw it, his smarts, I make him number three. I've got Wilson no better than the fourth quarterback. And, oh, by the way, Jets are going to take him second. And I'm sorry, Trey Lance has to be fifth for me because we haven't seen it. You can watch him work out. You can see him have a pro day. You can be wowed by a couple of his skills. He hasn't done it. He, ha he he did well, it. On we talk about we talk about this all the time. That's the hard part, Jody. The projection, right. the projection is the hard part. Also, you know, we're doing this in a vacuum. It would change if you tell me Kyle Shanahan is my coach. It would change my top five. Uh, Nick Sirianni, you tell me it changes things. I would not take Mac Jones for the Eagles. For the 49ers, I would take Mac Jones. So it does change. The system, the coach, the scheme, 
that changes your evaluation. And it, and by the way, it should. That's how it should be. Um, but just pure talent, which is what we're doing, I, I love Trey Lance. I, I love him. Now, the, the projection is difficult because you're right. We haven't seen it. But if you do have a good coach, if you do have confidence in yourself, if you do have a good scheme, he's going to succeed. But there's a lot of bad coaches, a lot of bad organizations, a lot of bad schemes. And if he goes to one of them, eh, it's probably going to be ugly. Here's where uh, you and I are a little bit different. We certainly agree that quarterback is the most important position in the game of football. And it's not even close. That position laps every other position in comparison. Because of that, I'm not as locked into projection as I could be or would be at other positions. It's too important. If your projection is inaccurate, if you are wrong, you're screwed. Yeah. You're blanked. I could use another word, but this is a family show, so I'm not going to use that. Um, but you get my drift. You can't mess that up. It, it just uh, dooms the organization for years to come. So I'm not going to go as much on projection as I may at running back or wide receiver or cornerback or linebacker or anywhere else. The, the position where I need to have a track record, something measurable I can sink my teeth into to make a call and make a draft pick is quarterback above, above all others. I That's why I can't put Trey Lance and four <laughs> guys who went out there and at least showed it to me on the division one level a serious amount of production that I can sink my teeth into. That's why I can't put Trey Lance yeah. any higher. Well, than I hear you. You're uh, one thing I've learned is you're a production guy. You're a Joe Douglas guy, as I like to go. And I'd like Joe, Joe personally. He's a production guy. There are other guys who do it a different way. One of the reasons Carson Wentz and Trey Lance are top five level picks coming from North Dakota state is projection. I mean, if you're just going to go, you're never going to see even Zach Wilson gets killed at BYU for his lack of competition. Um, you, not everybody gets to play at Alabama. Um, and, you know, as good as Alabama is, only one quarterback can play at a time. So if you're only going to look at quarterbacks from Alabama or quarterbacks from the SEC – well, we're not going to have enough quarterbacks, so you better be able to project somebody. Well, I, um, I'm not doing that. Did I not just say Justin Fields would be my number two guy? Yeah. Well, he made Ohio his State, name in the well, Big Ten, not in the Okay, SEC. you're going to Ohio State, Clemson. You know, I saw that – you know, I saw somebody, I forget who it was, um, say, you know, you're probably going to be okay if you just draft players from Alabama and Ohio State and Clemson. Uh, in those types of schools. And, you know, Jody, we could take out bus from every single one sure. of the school. You know, make, Mike Mayock, who I love, um, and I don't think there's anybody I respect more from a personnel standpoint. You know, a couple of years ago, drafted Cleveland Farrell, number four overall from Clemson. Everybody had him going in the 20s. Mike is like, this is my guy. This is my guy. Edge rusher, valuable position. Made some sense where to get him. You know, that's a Clemson guy. You know, Alabama, now since Nick has been there, it's been a lot better. You can go back and see tons of Alabama bus. Xander's not going to like that. Uh, Ohio State, 
you know, think about the quarterbacks, Dwayne Haskins recently. Who who else? I'm forgetting the other quarterback that failed recently. I'll think of it in a second. Uh, D. Milner, remember him? Uh, that was a top 10 corner, uh, just an absolute bust. I mentioned Okuda, number three overall. Look, doesn't matter where you play. It's a projection. It is a projection to the NFL level. Uh, the kid from uh, the Raiders that you mentioned, Farrell, he was better on the HBO preview show than he was actually on the field yeah. for this Raiders, uh, this year yeah. for the Raiders. So you're right. It's, it's all a projection, and it can't all be locked into where you play, but I, I can't deny that I'm going to be swayed by the talent that you played against during your collegiate well, yeah, it career. Helps. I mean, it helps. I mean, the SEC is the best conference. So, you know, one of the things about Justin Jefferson last year was he played at the highest level, the toughest competition, and he produced on the biggest stages. Um, and, you know, a lot of NFL people got him wrong. They said he's just a slot receiver. There's a projection going the other way. They got it wrong because um, he played outside. He was great. Uh, it happens both ways, but it is a projection. Understood. And some people said that Justin Jefferson was only the second best receiver at LSU, that Jamar Chase actually was the best receiver. Well, the second best receiver is not bad. I think the same way with uh, that guy Smith who plays for Alabama. Those of you who think that Waterwood would have been the better receiver of the two had he not got hurt. Yeah, I'll take the second guy and laugh all the way to the bank if I get my hands on Devonta Smith. All right, uh, we'll take a quick time out here on Birds 365. Scheduled to join us next, Matt Manicherian, the editor and creator of the SIS Football Rookie Handbook. Only about 600 pages of that. <laughs> Have you gotten through it yet, Jody? Have you gotten through the whole thing? Twice. I've already read it twice. And we'll make it a third time with Matt Manicharian, who's scheduled to join us next here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Three years later, they fired their Super Bowl winning head coach. They traded the highest paid QB in franchise history. And they traded down in the 2021 NFL Draft. What does it all mean now? Find out during the draft from the premier Philadelphia Eagles reporter, Derek Gunn. Watch, listen to Draft Takes with Derek Gunn across the Jacob Media Network, YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. 
Connecticut School of Broadcasting is now the CSB Media Arts Center, training in all that is media, including the nation's most successful broadcast training program with professional media experts whose entire mission is to get you career ready in just 8 or 16 weeks. Train on-site and online at our local campus in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. VA approved. CSB Media Arts Center. Visit GoCSB.com. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Here on the Jacob Media Channel, I am Jody McDonald. He is John McMullen, and joining us is another M. We just like to get people's on whose last names begin with M and our first names begin with J. Uh, we are lucky enough to have Mr. Matt Manicharian, the creator and editor of the SIS Football Rookie Handbook, SIS Sports Info Solutions. We had Matt on a couple of weeks ago, uh, gave us a great segment. Uh, we're banking on him doing the same again here. For those who missed it earlier, Matt, uh, if you could, your uh, 700 uh, pages of info is phenomenal. Explain sports information solutions, what you do a little differently than everybody else who puts out a mock draft and how you come up with your evaluations through the combination of both scouting and sources slash uh, analytics and information. Well, uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me back on, guys. I think uh, you won't be surprised to know my middle name is James. So if I just drop the mat, <laughs> yes, then we're, nice. we're all the we JM crew. Um, but at Sports Info Solutions, what we're doing is really combining traditional scouting with kind of new school analytics. So my background's as a scout. I was with the Saints and with the Browns for years. And what you get in the football rookie handbook is an NFL style evaluation. What are these players going to be in the NFL? What role are they going to fill on their NFL teams? Looking at it from that angle. And then we combine that with a lot of the new statistics that we have at Sports Info Solutions, where we're watching every play of every game. We have at least four scouts watch every game, chart all sorts of data points. And then our R&D team takes that information and uses that to extract insights. So it's the combination of the scouting and the analytics, and you get it all there for you in the football rookie handbook, like you're the GM. You know, Matt, that's interesting because the Eagles, obviously Birds 365 have been sort of at the forefront of the analytics revolution in the NFL dating back to, to Joe Banner. One thing Joe always told me is, Look, give me new information, but make it actionable. Do you do you get to, to that with NFL people when you talk to them and say, look, this kid, the numbers are off the charts, these, these new numbers, but how do I use that? How do I use that information? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great point. Joe Banner and those guys, they were certainly way ahead of the curve in terms of building things up. Um, and – in terms of information, there's information everywhere. Everybody's got an opinion on football. Everybody's got uh, different ways of looking at it. But uh, at the end of the day, if it's not actionable, if it's not something that you can actually use to help you win games, you, you can't do much with it. So, uh, you know, you look at the Eagles, a great example of how they've really made uh, analytics sort of actionable is a lot with fourth down decision making, right? We saw that was a big part of the Super Bowl run 
was their willingness to be aggressive. Now, we've also seen that that's going to give and that's going to take away, right? You know, when you're going to be aggressive all the time, you're also going to have to live with it when it, when it doesn't work. It doesn't mean analytics doesn't mean we're going to solve all of your problems and make you not have to be good at football and still win games. But hopefully we can answer the sort of questions that you were already asking with just a little bit more specificity than what we could do uh, without having this sort of information. Because before that, it was really all opinions, um, so it's a it's a tightrope that you got to walk. And one of the hardest things in my job every day is understanding when the numbers are telling me something that's nonsense, that's garbage, that football people just will find a reason why it's invalid versus when the numbers are saying something that questions these years and years and years of uh, shared knowledge that's been built up in the scouting and coaching communities. And when it's actually something that's relevant and we should say, hey, I know we've been thinking about it this way. But this this is really compelling and to, we should maybe think about this differently. So it's one of the hardest parts of my job, for sure. Matt, let's put it to the test, because just before you joined us, John and I were debating a little bit on the quarterbacks and how you would rank them, the five that we think are going to go in the first half of the round number one. I would put Trey Lance fifth because I just don't have enough data points. I don't have enough information. I didn't see enough of them. You scout in the scouting community, you have more access to tapes and took a trip to North Dakota. And we, John to public doesn't have that. So despite his physical gifts and his attributes, I can't rate him ahead of those other four guys who played division one full seasons and the like. That's the way I look at things. You got to try and balance in your book with information and scouting, how does it affect a guy like Trey Lance? I think that you said it right when you said you got to balance it, right? You've got to be able to figure out not everybody's going to be Trevor Lawrence. They're going to have all of the physical traits that scouts are really concerned with along with the performance, right? So what are the things that we look at as scouts or as, as general managers? We're looking at how you performed. We're looking at your actual physical traits because different people are going to develop differently. How old are you? Where did you play? So do we have you in, and seeing you against quality competition or do we see you against small schools? And then what about the other stuff like medical where it's going to, you know, you might love a player and the doctors might just come in and say, he doesn't pass our physical. We're not going to, we can't bring this guy in here. And that just changes everything that you want to do. So there are all of these sorts of data points that you've got away. And you talk about Trey Lance. He's played 19 games. He played 19 yeah. games. He was a 19 year old playing against FCS, right? What, 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 what we used to call uh, Division One AA, right? Um, you can't get a sense of it at all. This is a guy who, yeah, he's got every physical trait. So what do you do when you turn on the film and you actually see 2019 Trey Lance? Okay, I can tell you the statistics, you know, the basic stats, 28 touchdowns, no interceptions. Sounds pretty good, right? Well, I mean, it, I was watching the other day something where they were showing Randy Moss in college uh, at Marshall, and it was a little bit like um, – reminding me of when you've got somebody that just stands out it, or like if you ever watched film of like NFL players when they were in high school and they just look like a different guy on the field than everybody yeah. else. You get that from Trey Lance. And that is a requisite that you must have when you watch a small school player. They need to stand out and be totally different or else they really don't have a chance on the NFL level. So he checks that box. But beyond that, it's really hard. Here's a guy as a ball carrier they can't tackle him. They can't, they can't catch up to him speed-wise. They can't get their arms around him to tackle him. So he's breaking tackles all over the place. 
the receivers are running open, right? You got corners like me out there trying to cover these <laughs> his teammates. His teammates are better than a lot of the guys on the other team, not just him, yeah. but his teammates are all better, right? North, North Dakota State is a perennial powerhouse. So all of these things, you combine them together, it's very hard to understand what he was doing, how that's going to look on the NFL level. Um, so the error bars are just much wider, and I think you're absolutely right. And I would throw Zach Wilson into the same conversation, right? Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, we've seen tons of them. Mac Jones, just one year, but at the very, very highest level, right? We, we saw him fit in there. Yeah. With these two guys, Trey Lance, I, I think that it's a, it's a big question mark in terms of how that's actually going to look. And in terms of Kyle Wilson, uh, Zach Wilson, excuse me, 2020 was great. 2020 was a phenomenal. He has a 90 and our kind of end all be all metric where we just rank the guys on a, a scale where they could be a 50 is the bottom, 99 is the highest. He was a 99 out of 99 for, for 2020. But when you go back to 2019, it's not so pretty. It was a 66. So, I mean, you're talking about a player that when BYU, with their independent schedule, played against a quality of competition that was way down in 2020 and defenses that didn't have an opportunity to even get their full defense installed by the end of the season, let alone the beginning. Um, it's very much buyer beware, I think. Again, the, the arm, the arm talent, it's indisputable. Uh, the stuff that he put on film, it was great. It was a 99. But if we're just going off of one year, that scares me a little bit relative to three years of Trevor Lawrence and two years of Justin Fields. Hey, Matt, you know, projection is the difficult part. That's what makes your job so hard. I do want to go back before we get to the big day, because you kind of have your foot in both camps. Here in Philadelphia, there have been, there's been significant reporting about the clash between the personnel department and the analytics department. We're still doing this years mm -hmm. into this. Why do you think that is not just in Philadelphia, but other players? You have the old school football mentality. You've been a scout. You know that group versus the, the new people trying to hammer home, um, you know, information. Information is never a bad thing, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Well, like you said, uh, I'm definitely on both sides of it. This is a sensitive area for me because I'm so close with people on both sides of the equation. And it kind of breaks my heart that it's still the same nonsense that you're talking about, where it's got to be one or the other instead of us all kind of working in concert to try to make the best decisions possible. Now, I think when you're actually in the buildings, there are a lot of people that aren't uh, kind of pointing fingers and trying to do this thing. I think it's unfortunate. There's been a, a culture issue, I think, in Philadelphia that I think transcends scouting and analytics that until until there's a culture where everybody's buying in and everybody's swimming in the same direction, you're going to have problems, whether it's scouting versus analytics, offense versus defense, uh, whatever the sort of fractures that might exist on your team might be. Um, now, who's culpable? Both sides. There are a lot of old school football people that just don't want to hear it. They're threatened by it. They actively want to want to keep it down. They've built up their jobs. Right. This is a lot of people in the league. Are, are survivors. And by that, I mean, they're really, their primary objective is to keep their jobs. And it's frustrating as fans. It's frustrating from all sorts of perspectives. Uh, we see a lot of bad decisions for that reason. But um, I think this is one of them because instead of being maybe a coordinator that could take in some information and maybe enhance their ability to call plays, you have a lot of guys who might just say, I don't want to hear it. I know what I'm doing. You don't know what you're doing now. They're not the only ones that are culpable. There are also a lot of bad analysts out there. And you can find them on Twitter all day long. And the problem with bad analysis is when you don't have the right data to answer a question, then you shouldn't be trying to tell people that you, that you have the right answer. 
or when you only have one year of experience looking at a question, despite what data you might have, and they've got 50 years or hundreds of years of collective knowledge that have been approaching this question, we got to pump our brakes before we just say, you know, like the running backs don't matter. You know, it didn't take analysts didn't come along and say that that running backs should be less valued than other positions. That was Mike Shanahan, right? Kyle's yeah, dad yeah. who taught us that. So um, now all of a sudden that's the analytics movement. And now it's a coaches versus analysts thing about the value of running backs. And it's just a preposterous conversation, right? The conversation should be about how do we build our offense? Do we want to build up front first? How do we build? Uh, how does a running game and a passing game complement one another? Um, so I get very frustrated with the stuck in the mud old school people just as much as I get frustrated with the loud voices that are really setting the quote unquote analytics movement back by making us all look bad, quite frankly. All right, Matt, let's plug in on the Eagles uh, specifically tonight, round number one. Um, I checked your rankings. You've got Patrick Sertan rated number one at the cornerback position and uh, Horn number two. If the Eagles stay at 12, it might be dictated for them. One might be off the board, one might be left. We've speculated today that they may get aggressive and move up to a, a slot eight or a slot nine to assure themselves that they get the cornerback that they want. You've got it certain over Horn, but how close is it? Is there a debate between those two guys? Should the Eagles be looking to trade up because there is a separation between the two? Give us your combination analytics and scouting read between the two top cornerbacks available in tonight's draft. So I'm afraid that I'm afraid that my points are going to seem to contradict one another because I'm both going to say that there is a big difference and that I wouldn't trade up if I was the Eagles. Um, so uh, I think I think that um, you know the Eagles did a wise thing picking up an extra first round pick in the in the future. And even though I will say I think there's a difference between Sertan and I'll get into these players. Uh, in a second. I just think at the end of the day, we all know less than we think we know when it comes to these players and what they're going to be on the NFL level. There's a lot more that can go into it than, than this sort of stuff. And so anytime that you can uh, save draft picks and not give up that sort of ammunition, give yourself more, more chances to be right. I think that that's the right way to move. So I would be hesitant. I, I already credit the Eagles for moving down and I would, I would stick there rather than feel like you need to move back up to get that particular player. Now, that said, in terms of Patrick Sertan, the reason why I think he stands out and he's so different comes back to our conversation about the quarterbacks a second ago. You talk about eliminating error bars and, and how kind of certain you could ever be about a player. It's, you know, corners are notoriously hard to evaluate. Even on the NFL level, we see some guys perform really well one year and then really poorly the next year. I don't need to tell Eagles fans about, you know, how difficult it can be to find some good corners. Um, but with Patrick Sertan, here's a guy – Forget about, I mean, the, the lineage we all already know about. If you saw his dad play, there's enough to be excited about already there. But then you see what he's done at Alabama. He's come in the highest level of competition. He's played three years, right? True junior who's uh, played 41 games at Alabama at the highest level and has been a starting corner the entire time. He's got the size that you look for, right? 6'1", 6'2". Um, he's got the ability to play man coverage. He's got the ability to play zone coverage. They're just all the sorts of boxes that you check where you say, ah, this guy's played a lot of zone. We don't really know how well he'll be able to hang one-on-one. -on -one. Or is this guy, does he have the ability to play outside and in the slot? Um, the scheme versatility. Um, is his athleticism top-notch? Well, no matter what it is with Patrick Sertan, 
it's very hard to find something where almost like with Trevor Lawrence, it's very hard to find a sort of wart in his game. So I, I think that that he's as can't miss as a corner prospect gets. He's a blue chipper by our scale, whereas J.C. Horn is is a strong starting corner, but 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 a step behind certainly in the way that we grade things. Matt, I know this is a perfect guy for the mix of your uh, analytics that you guys put together. Uh, Devonta Smith is one of the trickier guys to have to rate in this upcoming draft. Uh, via the numbers, the numbers that he put up off the charts this year, that's why he won a Heisman Trophy as a wide receiver. But from a scout's eye view, the fact that he is only just above six feet and he did come in sopping wet with a rock in his pocket at 166 pounds, some people are scared off by his slider <laughs> build. He is the perfect case example of trying to mesh the two worlds of both analytics and production. How did your team come out on Devonta Smith? Is he the best receiver in the draft, the second best receiver, the third best receiver in the draft? How'd you guys come up with your rating of Smith? Well, we love Devontae Smith, and we love him for all the reasons that you said. The production is there. I mean, the production is more than there. It's maybe the best college football receiving season we've ever seen. Um, but then also, when you look at his skills, I don't really get concerned about the slight frame at all. Now, unfortunately for him, this is a ridiculous, ridiculous high-end year for receivers. There are three receivers that deserve to be in the top ten picks of this year's draft. And so we do have him behind uh, his teammate, Jalen Waddell, who's the only guy that we graded with nine out of nine for speed, play speed in this year's draft. And besides just the play speed, uh, yeah, I think what separates him from even like a Jalen Rager, for example, is the ability to change speeds as he's running his routes, the ability to adjust speeds, not just be a deep threat, but also be a threat in the intermediate areas of the field because of his ability where you're defending him. You think he's at top speed and then all of a sudden he's really at top speed and, and, and that's six. Um, so he's just special in that area. And Chase has size that Devontae Smith doesn't have. Um, and we've got Chase just, again, a notch ahead. Um, but we're really splitting hairs here. This isn't to say anything negative about Devontae Smith. I don't have concerns about him being too slight to be able to win on the NFL level. Um, I think that this is somebody who, when, when you throw on the film, you've seen his ability to beat press. Obviously, you're not going to get the same amount of press in college that you'll get in the pros. But he showed the ability to, whether it was by them scheming him putting him in motion, getting him in this a slot, or it was his speed and, and his elusiveness off of his breaks where he wasn't having to battle people physically to get off the line. He was able to escape from people. If, if you watch a, a quick cut up of just his releases off the line, you'll see a lot of people grasping at thin air, trying to get a hand on him. So I don't have those concerns. I see him as a guy that can play on the inside or on the outside. Whereas if I did have concerns about that, I would say this is a slot only type of prospect. And, and I don't see that at all. I think this is a versatile player that is, uh, you know, it's hard to say he's going to be as productive as he was at Alabama, but I think he'll be a productive pro uh, wherever he goes uh, because besides the production, he's, he's got all of the traits that I think are actually relevant. Matt, I, I wanted to rewind back to the cornerbacks for one second, only because Jody and, and I were having a discussion about the value of the position in the modern NFL. And you brought up, something I brought up to Jody, you see guys who have great seasons and then poor seasons at the cornerback position, to my mind, because the league, uh, the way the league has been legislated, it's so difficult mm -hmm. for those guys to play in the modern NFL. Their hands are tied. There are no more Deion Sanders. You cannot have a lockdown corner, in my estimation, 
Stephon Gilmore being the most notable, you know, one year's defensive player of the year, the next year they want to trade him. Mm-hmm. So how do you factor in, you know, the Patrick Sertain, J.C. Horn, great prospects, but they're they're coming into such a difficult environment. How do you factor in that value of, of where they should go? Yeah, you know, this is an age-old debate. I think, uh, you know, again, the analytics community likes to battle this sort of thing out. And I would say that the where the state of the kind of argument is right now is based on the numbers, it seems that there's a good case to be made that defensive backs are as or more important than pass rushers in terms of the strength of your defense. Um, in terms of if those guys are performing well, you're really likely to have a really good defense. Now, just the same, the numbers also back up what you and I see with our eyes, which is it's very hard to predict who's going to be good on the back end from one year to the next. Whereas when you have an elite pass rusher, a really strong pass rush, you can count on that being something that repeats itself year over year. So in terms of predictability, right, we talked about uh, making predictive evaluations, <laughs> not just going off of what you saw yesterday. Yeah. Um, in terms of predictability, it's the pass rush. Now, going back, this is a debate that I've talked to Mike Lombardi about, and he used to debate with Bill Belichick, right, where uh, Lombardi and a little bit more the way I look at things is build up front first on both sides of the ball. Quarterback is a separate case, most important position, but let's build up front. Let's be able to bludgeon teams physically because you play both phases up front and then we'll build out from there in terms of the passing game and being able to fill in. Bill Belichick, what he's done, and when you look at the the Patriots today, they're definitely a back-end first team. Uh, this is the same way that I grew up when I, when I was coaching, when I played in a high school and then I coached at the same high school. We used the same philosophy, which was our defensive backs are going to be our best athletes. They're the ones that can erase big problems when they happen, right? If you've got great people in your secondary, maybe you can give up a big running play, but they'll all wrestle the running back down for a 15-yard gain. Maybe you'll give up a passing play here and there, but you'll get the guys tackled and and live to see another down. Uh, That's been very successful for Bill Belichick. When you have a secondary like they've had, uh, it's been easier to kind of manufacture a pass rush by sending extra people. Uh, Definitely what we did in New Orleans with Greg Williams. It was try to build a secondary and then – attack with just numbers rather than uh, really elite players. There's, there's things to be said for both sorts of strategies. I'm very hesitant to say one is right and one is wrong. I think there's different ways to skin a cat. And the important thing is that you, that you build your philosophy coherently, whatever it is. Um, But for me, uh, in terms of the question, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of points on both sides of it. Um, and whether you look at the old school guys, the Lombardis and the Belichicks and where they kind of leave off in terms of, do you want to, do you want to be able to prioritize beating the heck out of the other guys up front? Or do you want to be able to prioritize being able to run them down? That's kind of the question on, on the way they would look at it. And, uh, from the scouting perspective, do you want somebody where you can say, if we perform well, then we can say that then we know that if our secondary perform well, we're going to be good. Or do you want to be able to say, I just want to be able to predict what my team's going to be able to do. And that's where I come out a little bit more of it. I would prioritize the pass rush myself. Fair enough. Then let's go right there. Predictability. Is this a good NFL draft for predictability on pass rushers? For me, what I've seen, not really. There's a reason why no one's talking about a pass rusher going in the top 10. Because there isn't a great pass rusher in the top 10. Give us a take on the top of the pass rushers. And is this an okay draft? 
for depth at that. Are you better getting a guy in round two or round three who may blossom, who may become that predictable pass rusher? Or is there a guy at the top we're underselling? Right. No, uh, there's no guy. There's no Chase Young this year. There's no doubt about it. There's, there's no bulletproof, that kind of prospect. Um, you know, there's less predictability at every position this year because there's less football that we've had on the film. So that's part of it. When you look at the edge class, nobody in the top half of the first round that I think there's value there. But uh, in the SIS mock draft, we did have six edge rushers go in the second half of the first round. So whether that run starts to happen in the second half of the first round or early into the second round, there is good depth to this edge rusher class. And there's different sorts of flavors of players, right? Our top edge rusher is Jalen Phillips out of Miami, a guy that I would throw into the category of him, which is kind of safer, kind of we know what we're getting, but I don't think they're double-digit sack guys. I think they're good rushers. Uh, uh, Rashad Weaver out of Pittsburgh. Uh, those two guys I look at as kind of not high-ceiling players, but – they're, they're going to come in. They can be starting level players within their first couple of years in the league and be, be a solid part of your defense. Not first half of first round type players, but yeah, second half of the first round, second round. Absolutely. Um, there are also some other types of players that you look at that are a little bit more kind of a, have the boom or bust thing going on with them where it could go in different directions. Uh, Greg Rousseau is the prime example of that. Guys like six foot eight had 15 yeah. sacks in his only season that he played, but we haven't seen him play beyond 19 years old. And when you looked at the production that he put on that year, despite the physical traits that he has, this is a guy that had kind of mediocre first step explosion, which is, which is the key prerequisite. When we talk about being able to pass rush, how quickly do you eat up space and get into the backfield? Um, he's a, he's going to be a little bit more of, I don't want to say a project because I don't know what he's done over the last year. I don't know if in terms of uh, he's been focused on his pass rush repertoire and he'll come into an NFL training camp uh, with, with that sort of game that we see. But if I had to guess based on what we've seen on the film and what we know about it uh, with players and, you know, there are a couple other guys like him um, you're either going to bet on the physical traits and being able to, that he'll round out the rest of his game, but there, there might be some bust potential there too. All right. Last one from me, Matt. I know you got a busy day. Um, you can't go online and, and not trip over a mock draft this time of year within your first five seconds. We see all the same names. Give me a couple surprises that might go in the first round that maybe NFL people think a little bit more highly than, say, draft Twitter. Oh, that's a really good question. That's a really good question. I'm not sure uh, who pops off my mind just because I think so much more in terms of team building than I do in terms yeah. of who I'm actually expecting to go somewhere. Um, in terms of the running back position, in terms of the running back position, excuse my dog there. Yeah. Everybody knows about Travis Etienne. Everybody knows about uh, Najee. But uh, Javante Williams out of North Carolina, he's somebody that from an NFL perspective yeah. is going to elevate himself relative to a fan's perspective. And there's two key reasons for that. His ability to pass block. You don't see players like this that come into the NFL with the ability to pass block. And if you've ever been in a draft room, you know that's what's going to come up in any sort of running back conversation. We talked about the quote-unquote running backs don't matter argument. Running backs differentiate in terms of their ability to pass block and therefore to be on the field on third down. That's one big part of it. The other side of it, go over to the statistical profile. Javante Williams is out of this world in terms of a broken tackle threat. We just haven't seen a lot of players in the history of our numbers with the broken tackle rate that he's put together. So those two things really combine to make him an attractive player. We know the Manicharians are ready for the draft. 
The dog certainly is. He's already uh, barking up. And Matt is because he's got the hat on and he's got it on backwards, which yeah. tells you he's ready to work today and get ready for the NFL draft. Matt, you helped us. We appreciate you coming on. If you want to grab it, you still got it in uh, production. Can uh, people get a hand on the SIS football rookie handbook even after the draft? Oh, yeah, it's still available and it's still useful. I mean, I, there's not a, a season that comes by where I'm not watching a game and I see a player flash that, I, that I'm trying to remember. What did we think of him? What was that report on this player? What was his statistical profile? So besides the draft, you keep coming back to it. Absolutely. I've got mine, the 2021 column, sitting on top of the 2020 uh, SIS handbook. Uh, yes, keep it for future reference. Grab it from Matt. Matt, we appreciate you coming on with us. Thanks, bud. We'll uh, talk so again much. soon. We'll talk soon after the draft. That is Matt Manichari, and we will get him back on after the draft. That's a promise here on Birds 365. All right, we'll take our final timeout. Come back. I'll make uh, Mr. McMullen get on the clock and make an eagle prediction for us. I will as well. Don't forget, coming up in less than 10 minutes now, the Barrett Brooks Draft Day special. He will be on, and uh, we'll be on to give you all of his insight for the upcoming draft right here on the Jacob Media uh, YouTube channel. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Three years later, they fired their Super Bowl winning head coach. They traded the highest paid QB in franchise history. And they traded down in the 2021 NFL Draft. What does it all mean now? Find out during the draft from the premier Philadelphia Eagles reporter, Derek Gunn. Watch, listen to Draft Takes with Derek Gunn across the Jacob Media Network, YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Connecticut School of Broadcasting is now the CSB Media Arts Center, training in all that is media, including the nation's most successful broadcast training program with professional media experts whose entire mission is to get you career ready in just 8 or 16 weeks. Train on-site and online at our local campus in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. VA approved. CSB Media Arts Center. Visit GoCSB.com. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. 
right, Johnny Mac. We got uh, just about five minutes left here for the wrap on Birds 365. Uh, I'm going to ask you to make a uh, Birds prediction. But first things first, uh, quickly, how is this going to work for you tonight? Are you doing all your work from home? Do you all just wait? <laughs> wait for the Zoom to pop up? Yes. At no. some point, Harry Roseman's going to speak. Maybe the coach, they'll make members of the media, of uh, members of the Eagle available to the media. Do you just monitor the YouTube chat, the Zoom channel, no. so that you know you hop on? That's the way it goes? No, they text us that Howie's coming up in five, ten minutes, so... We'll, we'll be made aware. Okay. Uh, but it You're is on that all-important text list. Yeah. Do you know what number you are? 2, 5, 12, 24, or is it all the same? Uh, it's all the same. Okay. Uh, the beat guys are on the – there's a blast text, so it all comes to all of us. But I'd like to think of myself as number one. There you go. That's the, that's the kind of confidence we need yes. going into draft night out of you, McMullen. Very good. All right, let's see if you can actually put that into your prediction. Not only do I need what player will the Eagles take, but you need to tell me where they're going to take them. Will there be a trade up? Will there be a trade back? Give me position and the number in the draft slot that the Eagles will call out a name at tonight. Well, it's interesting. Jeremy Fowler, uh, the great ESPN reporter, just tweeted out 20 minutes ago what we've been talking about for the past two days, essentially. The Eagles have been active this week with phone calls on a potential move up. Multiple teams in that range think Philly might be trying to get ahead of Dallas for one of the top corners. That's what we've been talking about. That's why you should watch this show. Correct. Ed Cratch and I uh, brought it up yesterday. So you're ahead of the game. The Eagles are going to go up to number eight with Carolina to draft Patrick Sertain, the cornerback from Alabama, to get ahead of the Dallas Cowboys. Probably... They'd like to attach Zach Ertz to that. If you look at the trade chart, they'll probably have to give up 70 and 123, their first third-round pick, their fourth-round pick. But that's what I think they're trying to accomplish. All right. I will – we're both going to end up on the same player. We think it's going to be Patrick Sertan. Um, I think that they can get it done at number nine. I don't think they have to go to number eight. And there should be – a difference in the amount that they have to pay between getting number eight and getting number nine. Oh, by the way, they'd have to pay Sertan a little bit more if they took him eight than if they take him at nine. I think Howie's going to thread that needle and get it done at nine and jump in directly. That would be better. That would be better. Eh, maybe I'm putting a little too much faith in Howie Roseman, but I am. I'm predicting Patrick Sertan at number nine rather than number eight. All right. Best case scenario, not what you think the Eagles are going to do, but what John McMullen wants to see happen. Could be going back into the trenches here. Uh, what oh, do yeah. you want to see oh, happen yeah. for the birds? Well, number 12 in my mock trap on Sports Illustrated. Everybody can check that out. But that came out earlier in the week. Rashawn Slater fell. I couldn't find a spot where he would go. I'm taking him at number 12. Uh, if he's on the board, just too good, too big of an upside. Same thing with Justin Fields. If that happens, I'm taking him. I'm taking them at 12. If they stick at 12, though, the most likely scenario is what Les Bowen said, J.C. Horn, the second-best corner. So a couple options. You and I are the same. If Justin Fields somehow miraculously falls down to him, you got to take him. I don't think that's going to happen. 
Devonta Smith could very well be on the board. You know, I've been pulling to him for him throughout. I will not be mad if they take one of the two cornerbacks, but if they have the chance to take Smith, that would be my preference. But I do not believe that's going to happen. We're both hoping against hope that something happens, but that's the beauty of the draft. And that's why you're going to keep it right here on the Jacob Media Channel all day long because we'll be covering the draft in and out, including coming up next, our very own Barrett Brooks, who will be joined by Jason Avant for an hour-long draft day special. He'll be right here. I'll be uh, on all the Eagles stuff as well. Not asking questions, but monitoring my guy, John McMullen. And then we'll be right back here on Birds 365 talking about it tomorrow. JM, have a good night. Enjoy. You too, Jody. Enjoy the draft, everyone. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.